2: Volume 2, Part 2, Chapter 48 Of the Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra Translated by John Ormsby, 1829-1895 to This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 2, Part 2, Chapter 48 Of what befell Don Quixote with Doña Rodríguez the duchess's duenna together with other occurrences worthy of record and eternal remembrance exceedingly moody and dejected was the sorely wounded don quixote with his face bandaged and marked not by the hand of god but by the claws of a cat mishaps incidental to knight-errantry six days he remained without appearing in public and one night as he lay awake thinking of his misfortunes and of altisidora's pursuit of him HE PERCEIVED THAT SOMEONE WAS OPENING THE DOOR OF HIS ROOM WITH A KEY, AND HE AT ONCE MADE UP HIS MIND THAT THE ENAMOURED DAMSEL WAS COMING TO MAKE AN ASSAULT UPON HIS CHASTITY AND PUT HIM IN DANGER OF FAILING IN THE FIDELITY HE OWED TO HIS LADY, Dulcinea DEL Toboso. NO, SAID HE, FIRMLY PERSUADED OF THE TRUTH OF HIS IDEA, AND HE SAID IT LOUD ENOUGH TO BE HEARD, THE GREATEST BEAUTY UPON EARTH SHALL NOT AVAIL TO MAKE ME RENOUNCE MY ADORATION OF HER whom I bear stamped and graved in the core of my heart and the secret depths of my bowels. Be thou, lady mine, transformed into a clumsy country wench or into a nymph of golden tagus weaving a web of silk and gold. Let Merlin or Montesinos hold thee captive where they will. Where'er thou art, thou art mine, and where'er I am, must be thine. The very instant he had uttered these words, the door opened. He stood up on the bed, wrapped from head to foot, in a yellow satin coverlet with a cap on his head, and his face and his mustaches tied up, his face because of the scratches, and his mustaches to keep them from drooping and falling down, in which trim he looked the most extraordinary scarecrow that could be conceived. He kept his eyes fixed on the door, and just as he was expecting to see the love-smitten and unhappy Altisidora make her appearance, he saw coming in a most venerable duenna, in a long white-bordered veil that covered and enveloped her from head to foot between the fingers of her left hand she held a short lighted candle while with her right she shaded it to keep the light from her eyes which were covered by spectacles of great size and she advanced with noiseless steps treading very softly don quixote kept an eye upon her from his watch-tower in observing her costume in noting her silence He concluded that it must be some witch or sorceress that was coming in such a guise to work him some mischief and he began crossing himself at a great rate the spectre still advanced and on reaching the middle of the room looked up and saw the energy with which don quixote was crossing himself and if he was scared by seeing such a figure as hers she was terrified at the sight of his for the moment she saw his tall yellow form with the coverlet and the bandages that disfigured him she gave a loud scream and exclaiming jesus what's this i see let fall the candle in her fright and then finding herself in the dark turned about to make off but stumbling on her skirts in her consternation she measured her length with a mighty fall don quixote in his trepidation began saying i conjure thee phantom or whatever thou art tell me what thou art and what thou wouldst with me if thou art a soul in torment say so and all that my powers can do i will do for thee for i am a catholic christian and love to do good to all the world and to this end i have embraced the order of knight-errantry to which i belong the province of which extends to doing good even to souls in purgatory the unfortunate duenna hearing herself thus conjured by her own fear guessed don quixote's and in a low plaintive voice answered senor don quixote if so be you are indeed don quixote i am no phantom or spectre or soul in purgatory as you seem to think but Doña rodriguez duenna of honour to my lady the duchess and i come to you with one of those grievances your worship is wont to redress tell me senora Doña rodriguez said don quixote do you perchance come to transact any go-between business because i must tell you i am not available for anybody's purpose Thanks to the peerless beauty of my lady Dulcinea del Toboso. In short, Senora Dona Rodriguez, if you will leave out and put aside all love messages, you may go and light your candle and come back, and we shall discuss all the commands you have for me, and whatever you wish, saving only, as I said, all seductive communications. I carry nobody's messages, Senor, said the duenna. Little you know me. Nay, I'm not far enough advanced in years to take to any such childish tricks god be praised i have a soul in my body still and all my teeth and grinders in my mouth except one or two that the colds so common in this aragon country have robbed me of but wait a little while i go and light my candle and i will return immediately and lay my sorrows before you as before one who relieves those of all the world and without staying for an answer she quitted the room and left Don quixote tranquilly meditating while he waited for her a thousand thoughts at once suggested themselves to him on the subject of this new adventure and it struck him as being ill done and worse advised in him to expose himself to the danger of breaking his plighted faith to his lady and said he to himself who knows but that the devil being wily and cunning may be trying now to entrap me with a duenna having failed with empresses queens duchesses marchionesses and countesses many a time have i heard it said by many a man of sense that he will sooner offer you a flat-nosed wench than a Roman-nosed one. And who knows, but this privacy, this opportunity, this silence, may awaken my sleeping desires, and lead me in these my latter years to fall where I never have tripped. In cases of this sort it is better to flee than to await the battle. But I must be out of my senses to think and utter such nonsense, for it is impossible that a long, white-hooded, spectacled duenna could stir up or excite a wanton thought in the most graceless bosom in the world is there a duenna on earth that has fair flesh is there a duenna in the world that escapes being ill-tempered wrinkled and prudish avaunt then ye duenna crew undelightful to all mankind oh but that lady did well who they say had at the end of her reception-room a couple of figures of duennas with spectacles and lace curtains as if at work and those statues served quite as well to give an air of propriety to the room as if they had been real duennas. So saying, he leaped off the bed, intending to close the door and not allow Senora Rodriguez to enter. But as he went to shut it, Senora Rodriguez returned with a wax candle lighted. and having a closer view of Don Quixote, with a coverlet round him and his bandages and nightcap, she was alarmed afresh, and retreating a couple of paces exclaimed, "'Am I safe, Sir Knight?' i don't look upon it as a sign of very great virtue that your worship should have got up out of bed i may well ask the same senora said don quixote and i do ask whether i shall be safe from being assailed and forced of whom and against whom do you demand that security sir knight said the duenna of you and against you i ask it said don quixote for i am not marble nor are you brass nor is it now ten o'clock in the morning but midnight or a trifle past it i fancy and we are in a room more secluded and retired than the cave could have been, where the treacherous and daring Aeneas enjoyed the fair, soft-hearted Dido. But give me your hand, Signora. I require no better protection than my own continence and my own sense of propriety, as well as that which is inspired by that venerable head-dress. And so saying, he kissed her right hand and took it in his own, she yielding it to him with equal ceremoniousness and here cid hamet inserts a parenthesis in which he says that to have seen the pair marching from the door to the bed linked hand in hand in this way he would have given the best of the two tunics he had don quixote finally got into bed and dona rodriguez took her seat on a chair at some little distance from his couch without taking off her spectacles or putting aside the candle don quixote wrapped the bedclothes round him and covered himself up completely leaving nothing but his face visible and as soon as they had both regained their composure he broke silence, saying now senora dona rodriguez you may unbosom yourself and out with everything you have in your sorrowful heart and afflicted bowels and by me you shall be listened to with chaste ears and aided by compassionate exertions i believe it replied the duenna from your worship's gentle and winning presence only such a christian answer could be expected the fact is then senor don quixote that though you see me seated in this chair here in the middle of the kingdom of aragon and in the attire of a despised outcast duenna i am from the asturias of oviedo and of a family with which many of the best of the province are connected by blood but my untoward fate and the improvidence of my parents who i know not how were unseasonably reduced to poverty brought me to the court of madrid where as a provision and to avoid greater misfortunes my parents placed me as seamstress in the service of a lady of quality and i would have you know that for hemming and sewing i have never been surpassed by any all my life my parents left me in service and returned to their own country and a few years later went no doubt to heaven for they were excellent good catholic christians i was left an orphan with nothing but the miserable wages and trifling presents that are given to servants of my sort in palaces. But about this time, without any encouragement on my part, one of the esquires of the household fell in love with me, a man somewhat advanced in years, full-bearded and personable, and above all as good a gentleman as the king himself, for he came of a mountain stock. We did not carry on our loves with such secrecy, but that they came to the knowledge of my lady, and she, not to have any fuss about it, had us married with the full sanction of the holy mother roman catholic church of which marriage a daughter was born to put an end to my good fortune if i had any not that i died in childbirth for i passed through it safely and in due season but because shortly afterwards my husband died of a certain shock he received and had i time to tell you of it i know your worship would be surprised and here she began to weep bitterly and said pardon me senor don quixote if i am unable to control myself for every time i think of my unfortunate husband my eyes fill up with tears god bless me with what an air of dignity he used to carry my lady behind him on a stout mule as black as jet for in those days they did not use coaches or chairs as they say they do now and ladies rode behind their squires this much at least i cannot help telling you that you may observe the good breeding and punctiliousness of my worthy husband as he was turning into the calle de santiago in madrid which is rather narrow one of the Alcaldes of the court with two aguasils before him was coming out of it and as soon as my good squire saw him he wheeled his mule about and made as if he would turn and accompany him my lady who was riding behind him said to him in a low voice what are you about you sneak don't you see that i am here the Alcalde, like a polite man pulled up his horse and said to him proceed senor for it is i rather who ought to accompany my lady Doña casilda for that was my mistress's name still my husband cap in hand persisted in trying to accompany the alcalde. and seeing this my lady filled with rage and vexation pulled out a big pin or i rather think a bodkin out of her needle-case and drove it into his back with such force that my husband gave a loud yell and writhing fell to the ground with his lady her two lackeys ran to rise her up and the alcalde and the alguacils did the same the guadalajara gate was all in commotion i mean the idlers congregated there my mistress came back on foot and my husband hurried away to a barber's shop protesting that he was run right through the guts the courtesy of my husband was noised abroad to such an extent that the boys gave him no peace in the street and on this account and because he was somewhat short-sighted my lady dismissed him and it was chagrin at this i am convinced beyond a doubt that brought on his death i was left a helpless widow with a daughter on my hands growing up in beauty like the sea-foam at length however as i had the character of being an excellent needlewoman my lady the duchess then lately married to my lord the duke offered to take me with her to this kingdom of aragon and my daughter also and here as time went by my daughter grew up and with her all the graces in the world She sings like a lark, dances quick as thought, foots it like a gypsy, reads and writes like a schoolmaster, and does sums like a miser. Of her neatness I say nothing, for the running water is not purer, and her age is now, if my memory serves me, sixteen years, five months, and three days, one more or less. To come to the point, the son of a very rich farmer, living in a village of my lord the duke's not very far from here, fell in love with this girl of mine and in short, how I know not, they came together, and under the promise of marrying her he made a fool of my daughter and will not keep his word. And though my lord the duke is aware of it, for I have complained to him, not once but many and many a time, and entreated him to order the farmer to marry my daughter, he turns a deaf ear and will scarcely listen to me, the reason being that as the deceiver's father is so rich and lends him money and is constantly going security for his debts, he does not like to offend or annoy him in any way now senor i want your worship to take it upon yourself to redress this wrong either by entreaty or by arms for by what all the world says you came into it to redress grievances and right wrongs and help the unfortunate let your worship put before you the unprotected condition of my daughter her youth and all the perfections i have said she possesses and before god and on my conscience out of all the damsels my lady has there is not one that comes up to the sole of her shoe and the one they call altisidora and look upon as the boldest and gayest of them put in comparison with my daughter does not come within two leagues of her for i would have you know senor all is not gold that glitters and that same little altisidora has more forwardness than good looks and more impudence than modesty besides being not very sound for she has such a disagreeable breath that one cannot bear to be near her for a moment and even my lady the duchess but i'll hold my tongue for they say that walls have ears for heaven's sake Doña rodriguez what ails my lady the duchess asked don quixote adjured in that way replied the duenna i cannot help answering the question and telling the whole truth senor don quixote have you observed the comeliness of my lady the duchess that smooth complexion of hers like a burnished polished sword those two cheeks of milk and carmine that gay lively step with which she treads or rather seems to spurn the earth so that one would fancy she went radiating health wherever she passed well then let me tell you she may thank first of all god for this and next two issues that she has one in each leg by which all the evil humours of which the doctors say she is full are discharged blessed virgin exclaimed don quixote and is it possible that my lady the duchess has drains of that sort i would not have believed it if the barefoot friars had told it me but as the lady Doña rodriguez says so it must be so but surely such issues and in such places do not discharge humors, but liquid amber verily i do believe now that this practice of opening issues is a very important matter for the health don quixote had hardly said this when the chamber door flew open with a loud bang and with the start the noise gave her Doña rodriguez let the candle fall from her hand and the room was left as dark as a wolf's mouth as the saying is suddenly the poor duenna felt two hands seize her by the throat so tightly that she could not croak while someone else without uttering a word very briskly hoisted up her petticoats and with what seemed to be a slipper began to lay on so heartily that anyone would have felt pity for her but although don quixote felt it he never stirred from his bed but lay quiet and silent nay apprehensive that his turn for a drubbing might be coming nor was the apprehension an idle one for leaving the duenna who did not dare to cry out well basted the silent executioners fell upon don quixote and stripping him of the sheet and the coverlet they pinched him so fast and so hard that he was driven to defend himself with his fists and all this in marvellous silence The battle lasted nearly half an hour, and then the phantoms fled. Doña Rodríguez gathered up her skirts, and bemoaning her fate went out without saying a word to Don Quixote, and he, sorely pinched, puzzled, and dejected, remained alone. And there we will leave him, wondering who could have been the perverse enchanter who had reduced him to such a state. But that shall be told in due season, for Sancho claims our attention, and the methodical arrangement of the story demands it. End of volume two, part two, chapter forty eight, recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume two, part two, chapter forty nine of the ingenious gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra, translated by John Ormsby, eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 2, Part 2, Chapter 49 Of What Happened to Sancho in Making the Round of His Island We left the great governor angered and irritated by that portrait-painting rogue of a farmer who, instructed the majordomo, as the majordomo was by the duke, tried to practice upon him he however fool boor and clown as he was held his own against them all saying to those round him and to dr pedro Recio, who as soon as the private business of the duke's letter was disposed of had returned to the room now i see plainly enough that judges and governors ought to be and must be made of brass not to feel the importunities of the applicants that at all times and all seasons insist on being heard and having their business dispatched and their own affairs and no others attended to come what may and if the poor judge does not hear them and settle the matter either because he cannot or because that is not the time set apart for hearing them forthwith they abuse him and run him down and gnaw at his bones and even pick holes in his pedigree you silly stupid applicant don't be in a hurry wait for the proper time and season for doing business don't come at dinner hour or at bedtime for judges are only flesh and blood and must give to nature what she naturally demands of them all except myself for in my case i give her nothing to eat thanks to senor doctor pedro Recio Tirteria Fuera here who would have me die of hunger and declares that death to be life and the same sort of life may god give him and all his kind i mean the bad doctors for the good ones deserve palms and laurels all who knew sancho panza were astonished to hear him speak so elegantly and did not know what to attribute it to unless it were that office and grave responsibility either smarten or stupefy men's wits at last dr pedro Recio aguilera of tirtea fuera promised to let him have supper that night though it might be in contravention of all the aphorisms of hippocrates with this the governor was satisfied and looked forward to the approach of night and supper time with great anxiety. And though time to his mind stood still and made no progress, nevertheless the hour he so longed for came, and they gave him a beef salad with onions and some boiled calves' feet rather far gone. At this he fell to with greater relish than if they had given him francolines from Milan, pheasants from Rome, veal from Sorrento, partridges from Moron, or geese from Lavajos and turning to the doctor at supper he said to him look here senor doctor for the future don't trouble yourself about giving me dainty things or choice dishes to eat for it will be only taking my stomach off its hinges it is accustomed to goat cow bacon hung beef turnips and onions and if by any chance it is given these palace dishes it receives them squeamishly and sometimes with loathing What the head carver had best do is to serve me with what they call ollas podridas, and the rottener they are, the better they smell. And he can put whatever he likes into them, so long as it is good to eat, and I'll be obliged to him and will requite him some day. But let nobody play pranks on me, for either we are or we are not. Let us live and eat in peace and good fellowship, for when God sends the dawn, he sends it for all. I mean to govern this island without giving up a right or taking a bribe let every one keep his eye open and look out for the arrow for i can tell them the devil is in Cantiana, and if they drive me to it they'll see something that will astonish them nay make yourself honey and the flies eat you of a truth senor governor said the carver your worship is in the right of it in everything you have said and i promise you in the name of all the inhabitants of this island that they will serve your worship with all zeal affection and goodwill for the mild kind of government you have given a sample of to begin with leaves them no ground for doing or thinking anything to your worship's disadvantage that i believe said sancho and they would be great fools if they did or thought otherwise once more i say see to my feeding and my dapples for that is the great point and what is most to the purpose and when the hour comes let us go the rounds for it is my intention to purge this island of all manner of uncleanness and of all idle, good-for-nothing vagabonds. For I would have you know that lazy idlers are the same thing in a state as the drones in a hive that eat up the honey the industrious bees make. I mean to protect the husbandman, to preserve to the gentleman his privileges, to reward the virtuous, and above all to respect religion and honour its ministers. What say you to that, my friends? Is there anything in what I say, or am I talking to no purpose?' there is so much in what your worship says senor governor said the majordomo that i am filled with wonder when i see a man like your worship entirely without learning for i believe you have none at all say such things and so full of sound maxims and sage remarks very different from what was expected of your worship's intelligence by those who sent us or by us who came here every day we see something new in this world jokes become realities and the jokers find the tables turned upon them night came and with the permission of dr pedro Recio, the governor had supper they then got ready to go the rounds and he started with the major-domo the secretary the head-carver the chronicler charged with recording his deeds and alguacils and notaries enough to form a fair-sized squadron in the midst marched sancho with his staff as fine a sight as one could wish to see and but a few streets of the town had been traversed when they heard a noise as of a clashing of swords they hastened to the spot and found that the combatants were but two who seeing the authorities approaching stood still and one of them exclaimed help in the name of god and the king are men to be allowed to rob in the middle of this town and rush out and attack people in the very streets be calm my good man said sancho and tell me what was the cause of this quarrel for i am the governor said the other combatant senor governor i will tell you in a very few words your worship must know that this gentleman has just now won more than a thousand reals in that gambling house opposite and god knows how i was there and gave more than one doubtful point in his favour very much against what my conscience told me he made off with his winnings and when i made sure he was going to give me a crown or so at least by way of a present as it is usual and customary to give men of quality of my sort who stand by to see fair or foul play and back up swindles and prevent quarrels he pocketed his money and left the house indignant at this i followed him and speaking him fairly and civilly asked him to give me if it were only eight reals for he knows i am an honest man and that i have neither profession nor property for my parents never brought me up to any or left me any but the rogue, who is a greater thief than Cacus and a greater sharper than Andradea, would not give me more than four reals. So your worship may see how little shame and conscience he has. But by my faith, if you had not come up, I'd have made him disgorge his winnings, and he'd have learned what the range of the steel yard was. What say you to this? Asked Sancho. The other replied that all his antagonist said was true and that he did not choose to give him more than four reals, because he very often gave him money, and that those who expected presents ought to be civil, and take what is given them with a cheerful countenance, and not make any claim against winners, unless they know them for certain to be sharpers, and their winnings to be unfairly won, and that there could be no better proof that he himself was an honest man, than his having refused to give anything, for sharpers always pay tribute to lookers-on who know them that is true said the majordomo let your worship consider what is to be done with these men what is to be done said sancho is this you the winner be you good bad or indifferent give this assailant of yours a hundred reals at once and you must disperse thirty more for the poor prisoners and you who have neither profession nor property and hang about the island in idleness take these hundred reals now in some time of the day tomorrow quit the island under sentence of banishment for 10 years and under pain of completing it in another life if you violate the sentence for i'll hang you on a gibbet or at least the hangman will by my orders not a word from either of you or i'll make him feel my hand the one paid down the money and the other took it and the latter quitted the island while the other went home and then the governor said either i am not good for much or i'll get rid of these gambling houses for it strikes me they are very mischievous this one at least said one of the notaries your worship will not be able to get rid of for a great man owns it and what he loses every year is beyond all comparison more than what he makes by the cards on the minor gambling houses your worship may exercise your power and it is they that do most harm and shelter the most barefaced practices for in the houses of lords and gentlemen of quality the notorious sharpers dare not attempt to play their tricks and as the vice of gambling has become common it is better that men should play in houses of repute than in some tradesmen's where they catch an unlucky fellow in the small hours of the morning and skin him alive i know already notary that there is a good deal to be said on that point said sancho and now a tipstaff came up with a young man in his grasp and said senor governor This youth was coming towards us, and as soon as he saw the officers of justice he turned about and ran like a deer, a sure proof that he must be some evil doer. I ran after him, and had it not been that he stumbled and fell I should never have caught him. "'What did you run for, fellow?' said Sancho. To which the young man replied, "'Señor, it was to avoid answering all the questions officers of justice put. What are you by trade?' "'A weaver.' "'And what do you weave?' lance-heads with your worship's good leave you're facetious with me you plume yourself on being a wag very good and where were you going just now to take the air senor and where does one take the air in this island where it blows good your answers are very much to the point you are a smart youth but take notice that i am the air and that i blow upon you astern and send you to jail oh there lay hold of him and take him off i'll make him sleep there to-night without air my god said the young man your worship will make me sleep in jail just as soon as make me king why shan't i make thee sleep in jail said sancho have i not the power to arrest thee and release thee whenever i like all the power your worship has said the young man won't be able to make me sleep in jail how not able said sancho take him away at once where he'll see his mistake with his own eyes even if the jailer is willing to exert his interested generosity on his behalf, for I'll lay a penalty of two thousand ducats on him if he allows him to stir a step from the prison. That's ridiculous, said the young man. The fact is all the men on earth will not make me sleep in prison. Tell me, you devil, said Sancho, have you got any angel that will deliver you and take off the irons I am going to order them to put upon you? Now, senor governor, said the young man in a sprightly manner, "'Let us be reasonable and come to the point. "'Granted, your worship may order me to be taken to prison "'and to have irons and chains put on me "'and to be shut up in a cell "'and may lay heavy penalties on the jailer "'if he lets me out, and that he obeys your orders. "'Still, if I don't choose to sleep "'and choose to remain awake all night without closing an eye, "'will your worship with all your power "'be able to make me sleep if I don't choose?' "'No, truly,' said the secretary, "'and the fellow has made his point.' "'So then,' said Sancho, "'it would be entirely of your own choice "'you would keep from sleeping, "'not in opposition to my will.' "'No, senor,' said the youth, "'certainly not.' "'Well, then go, and God be with you,' said Sancho. "'Be off home to sleep, and God give you sound sleep, "'for I don't want to rob you of it. "'But for the future, let me advise you "'don't joke with the authorities, "'because you may come across someone "'who will bring down the joke on your own skull.' The young man went his way, and the governor continued his round, and shortly afterwards two tipstaffs came up with a man in custody and said, Senor Governor, this person who seems to be a man is not so but a woman, and not an ill-favoured one in man's clothes. They raised two or three lanterns to her face, and by their light they distinguished the features of a woman to all appearance of the age of sixteen or a little more, with her hair gathered into a gold and green silk net, and fair as a thousand pearls. They scanned her from head to foot, and observed that she had on red silk stockings with garters of white taffety bordered with gold and pearl. Her breeches were of green and gold stuff, and under an open jacket or jerkin of the same she wore a doublet of the finest white and gold cloth. Her shoes were white, and such as men wear, she carried no sword at her belt, but only a richly ornamented dagger, and on her fingers she had several handsome rings. In short, the girl seemed fair to look at in the eyes of all, and none of those who beheld her knew her. The people of the town said they could not imagine who she was, and those who were in on the secret of the jokes that were to be practised upon Sancho were the ones who were most surprised, for this incident or discovery had not been arranged by them, and they watched anxiously to see how the affair would end. Sancho was fascinated by the girl's beauty, and he asked her who she was, where she was going and what had induced her to dress herself in that garb. She, with her eyes fixed on the ground, answered in modest confusion, I cannot tell you, senor, before so many people, what it is of such consequence to me to have kept secret. One thing I wish to be known, that I am no thief or evil doer, but only an unhappy maiden whom the power of jealousy has led to break through the respect that is due to modesty. Hearing this, the major domo said to Sancho, Make the people stand back, senor governor, that this lady may say what she wishes with less embarrassment. Sancho gave the order, and all except the major-domo, the head-carver, and the secretary fell back. Finding herself then in the presence of no more, the damsel went on to say, I am the daughter, sirs, of Pedro Perez Mazorca, the wool farmer of this town, who is in the habit of coming very often to my father's house. That won't do, senora, said the major-domo for i know pedro perez very well and i know he has no child at all either son or daughter and besides though you say he is your father you add then that he comes very often to your father's house i had already noticed that said sancho i am confused just now sirs," said the damsel and i don't know what i am saying but the truth is that i am the daughter of diego de la lana whom you must all know ay that will do said the major-domo for I know Diego de la Lana, and know that he is a gentleman of position and a rich man, and that he has a son and a daughter, and that since he was left a widower nobody in all this town can speak of having seen his daughter's face, for he keeps her so closely shut up that he does not give even the son a chance of seeing her, and for all that report says she is extremely beautiful. It is true, said the damsel, and I am that daughter, whether report lies or not as to my beauty." You, sirs, will have decided by this time, as you have seen me. And with this she began to weep bitterly. On seeing this, the secretary leant over to the head carver's ear, and said to him in a low voice, Something serious has no doubt happened, this poor maiden, that she goes wandering from home in such a dress and at such an hour, and one of her rank, too. There can be no doubt about it, returned the carver, and moreover her tears confirm your suspicion. Sancho gave her the best comfort he could, and entreated her to tell them without any fear what had happened to her, as they would all earnestly and by every means in their power endeavour to relieve her. The fact is, sir, said she, that my father has kept me shut up these ten years, for so long is it since the earth received my mother. Mass is set at home in a sumptuous chapel, and all this time I have seen but the sun in the heaven by day, and the moon in the stars by night. Nor do I know what streets are like, or plazas, or churches, or even men, except my father and a brother I have, and Pedro Perez, the wool farmer, whom, because he came frequently to our house, I took it into my head to call my father, to avoid naming my own. This seclusion and the restrictions laid upon my going out, were it only to church, have been keeping me unhappy for many a day and month past. I long to see the world, or at least the town where I was born and it did not seem to me that this wish was inconsistent with the respect maidens of good quality should have for themselves. When I heard them talking of bullfights taking place, and of javelin games, and of acting plays, I asked my brother, who was a year younger than myself, to tell me what sort of things these were, and many more that I had never seen. He explained them to me as well as he could, but the only effect was to kindle in me a still stronger desire to see them at last to cut short the story of my ruin i begged and entreated my brother oh that i had never made such an entreaty and once more she gave way to a burst of weeping proceed senora said the majordomo and finish your story of what has happened to you for your words and tears are keeping us all in suspense i have but little more to say though many a tear to shed said the damsel for ill-placed desires can only be paid for in some such way the maiden's beauty had made a deep impression on the head-carver's heart and he again raised his lantern for another look at her and thought they were not tears she was shedding but seed-pearl or dew of the meadow nay he exalted them still higher and made oriental pearls of them and fervently hoped her misfortune might not be so great a one as her tears and sobs seemed to indicate the governor was losing patience at the length of time the girl was taking to tell her story and told her not to keep them waiting any longer for it was late and there still remained a good deal of the town to be gone over she with broken sobs and half-suppressed sighs went on to say my misfortune my misadventure is simply this that i entreated my brother to dress me up as a man in a suit of his clothes and take me some night when our father was asleep to see the whole town he overcome by my entreaties consented and dressing me in this suit and himself in clothes of mine that fitted him as if made for him for he has not a hair on his chin and might pass for a very beautiful young girl to-night about an hour ago more or less we left the house and guided by our youthful and foolish impulse we made the circuit of the whole town and then as we were about to return home we saw a great troop of people coming and my brother said to me sister this must be the round stir your feet and put wings to them AND FOLLOW ME AS FAST AS YOU CAN, LEST THEY RECOGNIZE US, FOR THAT WOULD BE A BAD BUSINESS FOR US. AND SO SAYING, HE TURNED ABOUT AND BEGAN, I CANNOT SAY TO RUN, BUT TO FLY. IN LESS THAN SIX PACES I FELL FROM FRIGHT, AND THEN THE OFFICERS OF JUSTICE CAME UP AND CARRIED ME BEFORE YOUR WORSHIPS, WHERE I FIND MYSELF PUT TO SHAME, BEFORE ALL THESE PEOPLE AS WHIMSICAL AND VICIOUS. SO THEN, SEÑORA, SAID SANCHO, NO OTHER MISHAP HAS BEFALLEN YOU nor was it jealousy that made you leave home as you said at the beginning of your story nothing has happened me said she nor was it jealousy that brought me out but merely a longing to see the world which did not go beyond seeing the streets of this town the appearance of the tipstaffs with her brother in custody whom one of them had overtaken as he ran away from his sister now fully confirmed the truth of what the damsel said he had nothing on but a rich petticoat in a short blue damask cloak with fine gold lace and his head was uncovered and adorned only with its own hair which looked like rings of gold so bright and curly was it the governor the major-domo and the carver went aside with him and unheard by his sister asked him how he came to be in that dress and he with no less shame and embarrassment told exactly the same story as his sister to the great delight of the enamoured carver THE GOVERNOR, HOWEVER, SAID TO THEM, IN TRUTH, YOUNG LADY AND GENTLEMEN, THIS HAS BEEN A VERY CHILDISH affair. AND TO EXPLAIN YOUR FOLLY AND RASHNESS THERE WAS NO NECESSITY FOR ALL THIS DELAY AND ALL THESE TEARS AND SIGHS, FOR IF YOU HAD SAID WE ARE SO-AND-SO AND WE ESCAPED FROM OUR FATHER'S HOUSE IN THIS WAY, IN ORDER TO RAMBLE ABOUT, OUT OF MERE CURIOSITY AND WITH NO OTHER OBJECT, THERE WOULD HAVE BEEN AN END OF THE MATTER, AND NONE OF THESE LITTLE SOBS AND TEARS AND ALL THE REST OF IT. THAT IS TRUE, SAID THE DAMSEL. "'But you see the confusion I was in was so great, "'it did not let me behave as I ought.' "'No harm has been done,' said Sancho. "'Come, we will leave you at your father's house. "'Perhaps they will not have missed you. "'And another time don't be so childish or eager to see the world. "'For a respectable damsel should have a broken leg and keep at home. "'And the woman and the hen by gadding about are soon lost. "'And she who is eager to see is also eager to be seen. "'I say no more.' The youth thanked the governor for his kind offer to take them home, and they directed their steps towards the house, which was not far off. On reaching it, the youth threw a pebble up at a grating, and immediately a woman-servant who was waiting for them came down and opened the door to them, and they went in, leaving the party marvelling as much at their grace and beauty as at the fancy they had for seeing the world by night and without quitting the village, which, however, they set down to their youth. The head-carver was left with a heart pierced through and through, and he made up his mind on the spot to demand the damsel in marriage of her father on the morrow, making sure she would not be refused him, as he was a servant of the duke's. And even to Sancho, ideas and schemes of marrying the youth to his daughter Sanchica suggested themselves, and he resolved to open the negotiation at the proper season, persuading himself that no husband could be refused to a governor's daughter. And so the night's round came to an end, and a couple of days later, the government, whereby all his plans were overthrown and swept away, as will be seen farther on. End of Volume 2, Part 2, Chapter 49, Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Volume 2, Part 2, Chapter 50 of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor Maine. volume two part two chapter fifty wherein is set forth who the enchanters and executioners were who flogged the duenna and pinched don quixote and also what befell the page who carried the letter to Teresa Panza, Sancho Panza's wife. Cid Hamet, the painstaking investigator of the minute points of this veracious history, says that when Doña Rodríguez left her own room to go to Don Quixote's, another duenna who slept with her observed her, and as all duennas are fond of prying, listening, and sniffing, she followed her so silently that the good Rodriguez never perceived it and as soon as the duenna saw her enter don quixote's room not to fail in a duenna's invariable practice of tattling she hurried off that instant to report to the duchess how Doña rodriguez was closeted with don quixote the duchess told the duke and asked him to let her and altisidora go and see what the said duenna wanted with don quixote the duke gave them leave and the pair cautiously and quietly crept to the door of the room and posted themselves so close to it that they could hear all that was said inside but when the duchess heard how the rodriguez had made public the aranjuez of her issues she could not restrain herself nor altisidora either and so filled with rage and thirsting for vengeance they burst into the room and tormented don quixote and flogged the duenna in the manner already described for indignities offered to their charms and self-esteem mightily provoke the anger of women and make them eager for revenge The Duchess told the Duke what had happened, and he was much amused by it, and she, in pursuance of her design of making merry and diverting herself with Don Quixote, dispatched the page who had played the part of Dulcinea in the negotiations for her disenchantment, which Sancho Panza in the cares of government had forgotten all about, to Teresa Panza his wife with her husband's letter and another from herself, and also a great string of fine coral beads as a present now the history says this page was very sharp and quick-witted and eager to serve his lord and lady he set off very willingly for sancho's village before he entered it he observed a number of women washing in a brook and asked them if they could tell him whether there lived there a woman of the name of teresa panza wife of one sancho panza squire to a knight called don quixote of la mancha at the question a young girl who was washing stood up and said teresa panza is my mother and that Sancho is my father, and that knight is our master. Well then, miss, said the page, come and show me where your mother is, for I bring her a letter and a present from your father. That I will with all my heart, senor, said the girl, who seemed to be about fourteen, more or less. And leaving the clothes she was washing to one of her companions, and without putting anything on her head or feet, for she was bare-legged and had her hair hanging about her, away she skipped in front of the page's horse, saying, Come, your worship. Our house is at the entrance of the town, and my mother is there, sorrowful enough at not having had any news of my father this ever so long. Well, said the page, I am bringing her such good news that she will have reason to thank God. And then, skipping, running, and capering, the girl reached the town. But before going into the house, she called out at the door, Come out, Mother Teresa, come out, come out. Here's a gentleman with letters and other things from my good father. At these words, her mother teresa panza came out spinning a bundle of flax in a grey petticoat so short was it one might have fancied they to her shame had cut it short a grey bodice of the same stuff and a smock she was not very old though plainly past forty strong healthy vigorous and sun-dried and seeing her daughter and the page on horseback she exclaimed what's this child what gentleman is this a servant of my lady dona teresa panza replied the page and suiting the action to the word, he flung himself off his horse and with great humility advanced to kneel before the lady Teresa, saying, Let me kiss your hand, Senora Dona Teresa, as the lawful and only wife of Senor Don Sancho Panza, rightful governor of the island of Barataria. Ah, Senor, get up, do that, said Teresa, for I'm not a bit of a court lady, but only a poor country woman, the daughter of a clod crusher. And the wife of a squire errand and not of any governor at all. You are, said the page, the most worthy wife of a most archworthy governor, and as a proof of what I say, accept this letter and this present. And at the same time he took out of his pocket a string of coral beads with gold clasps, and placed it on her neck and said, This letter is from his lordship the governor, and the other as well as these coral beads from my lady the Duchess, who sends me to your worship. Teresa stood lost in astonishment, and her daughter just as much. And the girl said, May I die, but our master Don Quixote's at the bottom of this. He must have given father the government or county he so often promised him. That is the truth, said the page. For it is through Senor Don Quixote that Senor Sancho is now governor of the island of Barataria, as will be seen by this letter. Will your worship read it to me, noble sir? said Teresa. For though i can spin i can't read not a scrap nor i either said Sanchica. but wait a bit and i'll go and fetch someone who can read it either the curate himself or the bachelor samson carrasco and they'll come gladly to hear any news of my father there is no need to fetch anybody said the page for though i can't spin i can read and i'll read it and so he read it through but as it has been already given it is not inserted here and then he took out the other one from the duchess which ran as follows friend teresa your husband sancho's good qualities of heart as well as of head induced and compelled me to request my husband the duke to give him the government of one of his many islands i am told he governs like a gerfalcon of which i am very glad and my lord the duke of course also and i am very thankful to heaven that i have not made a mistake in choosing him for that same government for i would have senora teresa know that a good governor is hard to find in this world and may god make me as good as sancho's way of governing herewith i send you my dear a string of coral beads with gold clasps i wish they were oriental pearls but he who gives thee a bone does not wish to see thee dead a time will come when we shall become acquainted and meet one another but god knows the future commend me to your daughter Sanchica and tell her for me to hold herself in readiness for i mean to make a high match for her when she least expects it they tell me there are big acorns in your village send me a couple of dozen or so and i shall value them greatly as coming from your hand and write to me at length to assure me of your health and well-being and if there be anything you stand in need of it is but to open your mouth and that shall be the measure and so god keep you from this place your loving friend the duchess ah what a good plain lowly lady said teresa when she heard the letter that i may be buried with ladies of that sort and not the gentlewomen we have in this town that fancy because they are gentlewomen the wind must not touch them and go to church with as much airs as if they were queens no less and seem to think they are disgraced if they look at a farmer's wife and see here how this good lady for all she's a duchess calls me friend and treats me as if i was her equal and equal may I see her with the tallest church tower in La Mancha. And as for the acorns, Senor, I'll send her ladyship a peck, and such big ones that one might come to see them as a show and a wonder. And now, Sanchica, see that the gentleman is comfortable, put up his horse, and get some eggs out of the stable, and cut plenty of bacon, and let's give him his dinner like a prince for the good news he has brought, and his own bonny face deserve it all. And meanwhile, I'll run out and give the neighbours the news of our good luck and father curate and master nicholas the barber who are and always have been such friends of thy father's that i will mother said Sanchica. but mind you must give me half of that string for i don't think my lady the duchess could have been so stupid as to send it all to you it is all for thee my child said teresa but let me wear it round my neck for a few days for verily it seems to make my heart glad you will be glad too said the page when you see the bundle there is in this portmanteau for it is a suit of the finest cloth that the governor only wore one day out hunting and now sends all for senora sanchica may he live a thousand years said sanchica and the bearer as many nay two thousand if needful with this teresa hurried out of the house with the letters and with a string of beads round her neck and went along thrumming the letters as if they were a tambourine and by chance coming across the curate and samson carrasco she began capering and saying none of us poor now faith we've got a little government ay let the finest fine lady tackle me and i'll give her a setting down what's all this teresa panza said they what madness is this and what papers are those the madness is only this said she that these are the letters of duchesses and governors and these i have on my neck are fine coral beads with ave marias and paternosters of beaten gold and i am a governess god help us said the curate we don't understand you teresa or know what you are talking about there you may see it yourselves said teresa and she handed them the letters the curate read out for them for samson carrasco to hear and samson and he regarded one another with looks of astonishment at what they had read and the bachelor asked who had brought the letters teresa in reply bade them come with her to her house and they would see the messenger a most elegant youth Had brought another present which was worth as much more. The curate took the coral beads from her neck and examined them again and again. And having satisfied himself as to their fineness, he fell to wondering afresh and said, By the gown I wear, I don't know what to say or think of these letters and presents. On the one hand, I can see and feel the fineness of these coral beads, and on the other, I read how a duchess sends to beg for a couple of dozen of acorns. Square that if you can, said Carrasco. Well, let's go and see the messenger, and from him we'll learn something about this mystery that has turned up. They did so, and Teresa returned with them. They found the page sifting a little barley for his horse, and Sanchica cutting a rasher of bacon to be paved with eggs for his dinner. His looks and his handsome apparel pleased them both greatly, and after they had saluted him courteously, and he them, Samson begged him to give them his news, as well of Don Quixote as of Sancho Panza for he said though they had read the letters from sancho and her ladyship the duchess they were still puzzled and could not make out what was meant by sancho's government and above all of an island when all or most of those in the mediterranean belong to his majesty to this the page replied as to senor sancho Panza's being a governor there is no doubt whatever but whether it is an island or not that he governs with that i have nothing to do suffice it that it is a town of more than a thousand inhabitants with regard to the acorns i may tell you my lady the duchess is so unpretending and unassuming that not to speak of sending to beg for acorns from a peasant woman she has been known to send to ask for the loan of a comb from one of her neighbours for i would have your worships know that the ladies of aragon though they are just as illustrious are not so punctilious and haughty as the castilian ladies they treat people with greater familiarity In the middle of this conversation, Sanchica came in with her skirt full of eggs, and said she to the page, Tell me, Senor, does my father wear trunk hose since he has been governor? I have not noticed, said the page, but no doubt he wears them. Ah, my God, said Sanchica, what a sight it must be to see my father in tights! Isn't it odd that ever since I was born I have had a longing to see my father in trunk hose? As things go, you will see that if you live, said the page by God, he is in the way to take the road with a sunshade if the government only lasts him two months more. The curate and the bachelor could see plainly enough that the page spoke in a waggish vein, but the fineness of the coral beads and the hunting suit that Sancho sent, for Teresa had already shown it to them, did away with the impression, and they could not help laughing at Sanchica's wish, and still more when Teresa said, Senor curate, Look about if there's anybody here going to Madrid or Toledo to buy me a hooped petticoat, a proper fashionable one of the best quality. For indeed and indeed, I must do honour to my husband's government as well as I can. Nay, if I am put to it and have to, I'll go to court and set a coach like all the world. For she who has a governor for her husband may very well have one and keep one. And why not, mother? said Sanchica. Would to God it were today instead of tomorrow even though they were to say when they saw me seated in the coach with my mother see that rubbish that garlic-stuffed fellow's daughter how she goes stretched at her ease in a coach as if she was a sheep-hope but let them tramp through the mud and let me go in my coach with my feet off the ground bad luck to backbiters all over the world let me go warm and the people may laugh do i say right mother to be sure you do my child said teresa and all this good luck and even more my good Sancho foretold me, and thou wilt see, my daughter, he won't stop till he has made me a countess. For to make a beginning is everything in luck. And as I have heard thy good father say many a time, for besides being thy father, he's the father of proverbs too when they offer thee a heifer, run with a halter. When they offer thee a government, take it. When they would give thee a county, seize it. When they say, Here, here, to thee with something good, swallow it. Oh, no, go to sleep and don't answer the strokes of good fortune and the lucky chances that are knocking at the door of your house and what do i care added Sanchica, whether anybody says when he sees me holding my head up the dog saw himself in hempen breeches and the rest of it hearing this the curate said i do believe that all this family of the Panzas are born with a sackful of proverbs in their insides every one of them i never saw one of them that does not pour them out at all times and on all occasions that is true said the page for senor governor sancho utters them at every turn and though a great many of them are not to the purpose still they amuse one and my lady the duchess and the duke praise them highly then you still maintain that all this about sancho's government is true senor said the bachelor and that there actually is a duchess who sends him presents and rights to him because we although we have handled the present and read the letters don't believe it and suspect it to be something in the line of our fellow-townsman don quixote who fancies that everything is done by enchantment and for this reason i am almost ready to say that i'd like to touch and feel your worship to see whether you are a mere ambassador of the imagination or a man of flesh and blood all i know sirs replied the page is that i am a real ambassador and that senor sancho panza is governor as a matter of fact and that my lord and lady the duke and duchess can give and have given him this same government and that i have heard it said sancho panza bears himself very stoutly therein whether there be any enchantment in all this or not it is for your worships to settle between you for that's all i know by the oath i swear and that is by the life of my parents whom i have still alive and love dearly it may be so said the bachelor but dubitat augustinus doubt who will said the page but what i have told you is the truth and that will always rise above falsehood as oil above water if not operibus credite et non verbis let one of you come with me and he will see with his eyes what he does not believe with his ears it's for me to make that trip said Sanchica. take me with you senor behind you on your horse for i go with all my heart to see my father governor's daughters said the page must not travel along the roads alone but accompanied by coaches and litters and a great number of attendants by god said sanchica i can go just as well mounted on a she-ass as in a coach what a dainty lass you must take me for hush girl said teresa you don't know what you're talking about the gentleman is quite right for as the time, so the behaviour when it was sancho it was Sancha. it is governor it's senora i don't know if i'm right senora teresa says more than she is aware of said the page and now give me something to eat and let me go at once for i mean to return this evening come and do penance with me said the curate at this for senora teresa has more will than means to serve so worthy a guest the page refused but had to consent at last for his own sake and the curate took him home with him very gladly in order to have an opportunity of questioning him at leisure about don quixote and his doings the bachelor offered to write the letters in reply for teresa but she did not care to let him mix himself up in her affairs for she thought him somewhat given to joking and so she gave a cake and a couple of eggs to a young acolyte who was a penman and he wrote for her two letters one for her husband and the other for the duchess dictated out of her own head Which are not the worst inserted in this great history, as will be seen farther on. End of volume two, part two, chapter fifty. Recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume two, part two, chapter fifty one. Of the ingenious gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two part two chapter fifty one of the progress of sancho's government and other such entertaining matters day came after the night of the governor's round a night which the head carver passed without sleeping so were his thoughts of the face and air and beauty of the disguised damsel while the major-domo spent what was left of it in writing an account to his lord and lady of all sancho said and did being as much amazed at his sayings as at his doings for there was a mixture of shrewdness and simplicity in all his words and deeds the senor governor got up and by dr pedro orecio's directions they made him break his fast on a little conserve and four sups of cold water which sancho would have readily exchanged for a piece of bread and a bunch of grapes but seeing there was no help for it he submitted with no little sorrow of heart and discomfort of stomach pedro ratio having persuaded him that light and delicate diet enlivened the wits and that what was most essential for persons placed in command and in responsible situations where they have to employ not only the bodily powers but those of the mind also by means of this sophistry, Sancho was made to endure hunger, and hunger so keen that in his heart he cursed the government, and even him who had given it to him. However, with his hunger and his conserve, he undertook to deliver judgments that day, and the first thing that came before him was a question that was submitted to him by a stranger, in the presence of the major domo and the other attendants, and it was in these words, Senor, a large river separated two districts of one and the same lordship. Will your worship please to pay attention, for the case is an important and a rather naughty one. Well then, on this river there was a bridge, and at one end of it a gallows and a sort of tribunal, where four judges commonly sat to administer the law which the lord of river, bridge, and the lordship had enacted, and which was to this effect. If any one crosses by this bridge from one side to the other, he shall declare on oath where he is going to and with what object, and if he swears truly he shall be allowed to pass, but if falsely he shall be put to death for it by hanging on the gallows erected there without any remission. Though the law and its severe penalty were known, many persons crossed, but in their declarations it was easy to see at once they were telling the truth and the judges let them pass free it happened however that one man when they came to take his declaration swore and said that by the oath he took he was going to die upon that gallows that stood there and nothing else the judges held a consultation over the oath and they said if we let this man pass free he has sworn falsely and by the law he ought to die but if we hang him as he swore he was going to die on that gallows and therefore swore the truth, by the same law he ought to go free. It is asked of your worship, senor governor, what are the judges to do with this man? For they are still in doubt and perplexity. In having heard of your worship's acute and exalted intellect, they have sent me to entreat your worship on their behalf to give your opinion on this very intricate and puzzling case. To this Sancho made answer, Indeed, those gentlemen the judges that send you to me might have spared themselves the trouble for i have more of the obtuse than the acute in me but repeat the case over again so that i may understand it and then perhaps i may be able to hit the point the querist repeated again and again what he had said before and then sancho said it seems to me i can set the matter right in a moment and in this way the man swears that he is going to die upon the gallows but if he dies upon it he has sworn the truth and by the law enacted deserves to go free and pass over the bridge but if they don't hang him then he has sworn falsely and by the same law deserves to be hanged it is as the senor governor says said the messenger and as regards a complete comprehension of the case there is nothing left to desire or hesitate about well then i say said sancho that of this man they should let pass the part that is sworn truly and hang the part that is lied and in this way the conditions of the passage will be fully complied with but then senor governor replied the querist the man will have to be divided into two parts and if he is divided of course he will die and so none of the requirements of the law will be carried out and it is absolutely necessary to comply with it look here my good sir said sancho Either I'm a numbskull, or else there is the same reason for this passenger dying as for his living and passing over the bridge. For if the truth saves him, the falsehood equally condemns him. And that being the case, it is my opinion you should say to the gentleman who sent you to me that as the arguments for condemning him and for absolving him are exactly balanced, they should let him pass freely, as it is always more praiseworthy to do good than to do evil. This I would give signed with my name, if I knew how to sign, and what I have said in this case is not out of my own head, but one of the many precepts my master Don Quixote gave me the night, before I left to become governor of this island, that came into my mind, and it was this, that when there was any doubt about the justice of a case, I should lean to mercy, and it is God's will that I should recollect it now, for it fits this case as if it was made for it. That is true, said the major-domo. And I maintain that Lycurgus himself, who gave laws to the Lacedaemonians, could not have pronounced a better decision than the great Panza has given. Let the morning's audience close with this, and I will see that the senor governor has dinner entirely to his liking. That's all I ask for. Fair play, said Sancho. Give me my dinner, and then let it rain cases and questions on me, and I'll dispatch them in a twinkling.' The major-domo kept his word, for he felt it against his conscience to kill so wise a governor by hunger, particularly as he intended to have done with him that same night, playing off the last joke he was commissioned to practice upon him. It came to pass, then, that after he had dined that day, in opposition to the rules and aphorisms of Dr. Turtea Fuera, as they were taking away the cloth, there came a courier with a letter from Don Quixote for the governor. Sancho ordered the secretary to read it to himself, and if there was nothing in it that demanded secrecy, to read it aloud. The secretary did so, and after he had skimmed the contents, he said, It may well be read aloud, for what Señor Don Quixote writes to your worship deserves to be printed or written in letters of gold, and it is as follows. Don Quixote of La Mancha's letter to Sancho Panza, governor of the island of Barataria." when i was expecting to hear of thy stupidities and blunders friend sancho i have received intelligence of thy displays of good sense for which i give special thanks to heaven that can raise the poor from the dunghill and of fools to make wise men they tell me thou dost govern as if thou wert a man and art a man as if thou wert a beast so great is the humility wherewith thou dost comport thyself but i would have thee bear in mind Sancho that very often it is fitting and necessary for the authority of office to resist the humility of the heart for the seemly array of one who is invested with grave duties should be such as they require and not measured by what his own humble taste may lead him to prefer dress well a stick dressed up does not look like a stick i do not say thou shouldst wear trinkets or fine raiment or that being a judge thou shouldst dress like a soldier that thou shouldst array thyself in the apparel thy office requires and that at the same time it be neat and handsome to win the good will of the people thou governest there are two things among others that thou must do one is to be civil to all this however i told thee before And the other to take care that food be abundant for there is nothing that vexes the heart of the poor more than hunger and high prices make not many proclamations but those thou makest take care that they be good ones and above all that they be observed and carried out for proclamations that are not observed are the same as if they did not exist nay they encourage the idea that the prince who had the wisdom and authority to make them had not the power to enforce them and laws that threaten and are not enforced come to be like the log the king of the frogs that frightened them at first, but that in time they despised and mounted upon. Be a father to virtue and a stepfather to vice. Be not always strict, nor yet always lenient, but observe a mean between these two extremes, for in that is the aim of wisdom. Visit the jails, the slaughter-houses, and the marketplaces. For the presence of the governor is of great importance in such places, it comforts the prisoners who are in hopes of a speedy release. It is the bugbear of the butchers, who have then to give just weight, and it is the terror of the market-women for the same reason. Let it not be seen that thou art, even if perchance thou art, which I do not believe, covetous, a follower of women, or a glutton. For when the people and those that have dealings with thee become aware of thy special weakness, they will bring their batteries to bear upon thee in that quarter, till they have brought thee down to the depths of perdition. Consider and reconsider, con and con over again, the advices and the instructions I gave thee before thy departure hence to thy government, and thou wilt see that in them, if thou dost follow them, thou hast a help in hand that will lighten for thee the troubles and difficulties that beset governors at every step. Write to thy lord and lady and show thyself grateful to them, for ingratitude is the daughter of pride in one of the greatest sins we know of and he who is grateful to those who have been good to him shows that he will be so to god also who has bestowed and still bestows so many blessings upon him my lady the duchess sent off a messenger with thy suit and another present to thy wife teresa panza we expect the answer every moment i have been a little indisposed through a certain scratching i came in for not very much to the benefit of my nose, but it was nothing, for if there are enchanters who maltreat me, there are also some who defend me. Let me know if the major domo who is with thee had any share in the Trifaldi performance, as thou didst suspect, and keep me informed of everything that happens thee, as the distance is so short. All the more, as I am thinking of giving over very shortly this idle life I am now leading, for I was not born for it a thing has occurred to me which i am inclined to think will put me out of favour with the duke and duchess but though i am sorry for it i do not care for after all i must obey my calling rather than their pleasure in accordance with the common saying amicus plato sed magis amica veritas i quote this latin to thee because i conclude that since thou hast been a governor thou wilt have learned it adieu god keep thee from being an object of pity to anyone thy friend don quixote of la mancha sancho listened to the letter with great attention and it was praised and considered wise by all who heard it he then rose up from table and calling his secretary shut himself in with him in his own room and without putting it off any longer set about answering his master don quixote at once and he bade the secretary write down what he told him without adding or suppressing anything which he did and the answer was to the following effect sancho panza's letter to don quixote of la mancha the pressure of business is so great upon me that i have no time to scratch my head or even to cut my nails and i have them so long god send a remedy for it i say this master of my soul that you may not be surprised if i have not until now sent you word of how i fare well or ill in this government in which i am suffering more hunger than when we two were wandering through the woods and wastes my lord the duke wrote to me the other day to warn me that certain spies had got into this island to kill me but up to the present i have not found out any except a certain doctor who receives a salary in this town for killing all the governors that come here he is called dr pedro Recio and is from Tertella Fuera, so you see what a name he has to make me dread dying under his hands. This doctor says of himself that he does not cure diseases when there are any, but prevents them coming, and the medicines he uses are diet and more diet, until he brings one down to bare bones, as if leanness was not worse than fever. In short, he is killing me with hunger, and I am dying myself of vexation. For when I thought I was coming to this government to get my meat hot and my drink cool, and take my ease between holland sheets on feather beds, I find I have come to do penance as if I was a hermit, and as I don't do it willingly, I suspect that in the end the devil will carry me off. So far I have not handled any dues or taken any bribes, and I don't know what to think of it, for here they tell me that the governors that come to this island before entering it had plenty of money either given to them or lent to them by the people of the town and that this is the usual custom not only here but with all who enter upon governments last night going the rounds i came upon a fair damsel in man's clothes and a brother of hers dressed as a woman my head-carver has fallen in love with the girl and has in his own mind chosen her for a wife so he says and i have chosen the youth for a son-in-law Today we are going to explain our intentions to the father of the pair, who is one Diego de la Laña, a gentleman and an old Christian, as much as you please. I have visited the marketplaces, as your worship advises me, and yesterday I found a stall keeper selling new hazelnuts and proved her to have mixed a bushel of old empty rotten nuts with a bushel of new. I confiscated the whole for the children of the charity school, who will know how to distinguish them well enough and I sentenced her not to come into the marketplace for a fortnight. They told me I did bravely. I can tell, Your Worship, it is commonly said in this town that there are no people worse than the market women, for they are all barefaced, unconscionable, and impudent, and I can well believe it from what I have seen of them in other towns. I am very glad My Lady the Duchess has written to my wife Teresa Panza and sent her the present Your Worship speaks of and i will strive to show myself grateful when the time comes kiss her hands for me and tell her i say she has not thrown it into a sack with a hole in it as she will see in the end i should not like your worship to have any difference with my lord and lady for if you fall out with them it is plain it must do me harm and as you give me advice to be grateful it will not do for your worship not to be so yourself to those who have shown you such kindness and by whom you have been treated so hospitably in their castle. That about the scratching I don't understand, but I suppose it must be one of the ill turns that wicked enchanters are always doing your worship. When we meet I shall know all about it. I wish I could send your worship something, but I don't know what to send, unless it be some very curious clister pipes to work with bladders that they make in this island. But if the office remains with me, I'll find out something to send one way or another if my wife teresa panza writes to me pay the postage and send me the letter for i have a very great desire to hear how my house and wife and children are going on and so may god deliver your worship from evil-minded enchanters and bring me well and peacefully out of this government which i doubt for i expect to take leave of it and my life together from the way dr pedro Recio treats me your worship's servant sancho panza the governor the secretary sealed the letter and immediately dismissed the courier, and those who were carrying on the joke against Sancho, putting their heads together, arranged how he was to be dismissed from the government. Sancho spent the afternoon in drawing up certain ordinances relating to the good government of what he fancied the island, and he ordained that there were to be no provision hucksters in the state, and that men might import wine into it from any place they pleased, provided they declared the quarter it came from so that a price might be put upon it according to its quality reputation and the estimation it was held in and he that watered his wine or changed the name was to forfeit his life for it he reduced the prices of all manner of shoes boots and stockings but of shoes in particular as they seemed to him to run extravagantly high he established a fixed rate for servants wages which were becoming recklessly exorbitant. He laid extremely heavy penalties upon those who sang lewd or loose songs either by day or night. He decreed that no blind man should sing of any miracle in verse unless he could produce authentic evidence that it was true. For it was his opinion that most of those the blind men sing are trumped up to the detriment of the true ones. He established and created an alguacil of the poor, not to harass them, But to examine them and see whether they really were so. For many a sturdy thief or drunkard goes about under cover of a make believe crippled limb or a sham sore. In a word, he made so many good rules that to this day they are preserved there and are called the constitutions of the great governor Sancho Panza. End of volume two, part two, chapter fifty one. Recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 2, Part 2, Chapter 52 Of the Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha By Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra Translated by John Ormsby, 1829-1895 This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Volume 2, Part 2, Chapter 52 wherein is related the adventure of the second distressed or afflicted duenna, otherwise called Doña Rodríguez. Cid Hamet relates that Don Quixote, being now cured of his scratches, felt that the life he was leading in the castle was entirely inconsistent with the order of chivalry he professed. So he determined to ask the duke and duchess to permit him to take his departure for Saragossa, as the time of the festival was now drawing near and he hoped to win there the suit of armour which is the prize at festivals of the sort but one day at table with the duke and duchess just as he was about to carry his resolution into effect and ask for their permission lo and behold suddenly there came in through the door of the great hall two women as they afterwards proved to be draped in mourning from head to foot one of whom approaching don quixote flung herself at full length at his feet pressing her lips to them and uttering moans so sad so deep and so doleful that she put all those who heard and saw her into a state of perplexity and though the duke and duchess supposed it must be some joke their servants were playing off upon don quixote still the earnest way the woman sighed and moaned and wept puzzled them and made them feel uncertain until don quixote touched with compassion raised her up and made her unveil herself and removed the mantle from her tearful face she complied and disclosed what no one could have ever anticipated for she disclosed the countenance of Doña rodriguez the duenna of the house the other female in mourning being her daughter who had been made a fool of by the rich farmer's son all who knew her were filled with astonishment and the duke and duchess more than any for though they thought her a simpleton and a weak creature They did not think her capable of crazy pranks. Doña Rodríguez, at length, turning to her master and mistress, said to them, Will your excellences be pleased to permit me to speak to this gentleman for a moment? For it is requisite I should do so in order to get successfully out of the business in which the boldness of an evil-minded clown has involved me. The duke said that for his part he gave her leave, and that she might speak with Senor Don Quixote as much as she liked she then turning to don quixote and addressing herself to him said some days since valiant knight i gave you an account of the injustice and treachery of a wicked farmer to my dearly beloved daughter the unhappy damsel here before you and you promised me to take her part and right the wrong that has been done her but now it has come to my hearing that you are about to depart from this castle in quest of such fair adventures as god may vouchsafe to you therefore before you take the road i would that you challenge this froward rustic and compel him to marry my daughter in fulfilment of the promise he gave her to become her husband before he seduced her for to expect that my lord the duke will do me justice is to ask pears from the elm tree for the reason i stated privately to your worship and so may our lord grant you good health and forsake us not to these words don quixote replied very gravely and solemnly worthy duenna check your tears or rather dry them and spare your sighs for i take it upon myself to obtain redress for your daughter for whom it would have been better not to have been so ready to believe lovers promises which are for the most part quickly made and very slowly performed and so with my lord the duke's leave i will at once go in quest of this inhuman youth And will find him out and challenge him and slay him, if so be he refuses to keep his promised word. For the chief object of my profession is to spare the humble and chastise the proud, I mean, to help the distressed and destroy the oppressors. There is no necessity, said the Duke, for your worship to take the trouble of seeking out the rustic of whom this worthy duenna complains, nor is there any necessity either for asking my leave to challenge him for i admit him duly challenged and will take care that he is informed of the challenge and accepts it and comes to answer it in person to this castle of mine where i shall afford to both a fair field observing all the conditions which are usually and properly observed in such trials in observing too justice to both sides as all princes who offer a free field to combatants within the limits of their lordships are bound to do then with that assurance and your highness's good leave said don quixote i hereby for this once waive my privilege of gentle blood and come down and put myself on a level with the lowly birth of the wrong-doer making myself equal with him and enabling him to enter into combat with me and so i challenge and defy him though absent on the plea of his malfeasance in breaking faith with this poor damsel Who was a maiden and now by his misdeed is none and say that he shall fulfil the promise he gave her to become her lawful husband or else stake his life upon the question and then plucking off a glove he threw it down in the middle of the hall and the duke picked it up saying as he had said before that he accepted the challenge in the name of his vassal and fixed six days thence as the time the courtyard of the castle as the place and for arms the customary ones of knights lance and shield and full armour with all the other accessories without trickery guile or charms of any sort and examined and passed by the judges of the field but first of all he said it is requisite that this worthy duenna and unworthy damsel should place their claim for justice in the hands of don quixote for otherwise nothing can be done nor can the said challenge be brought to a lawful issue i do so place it replied the duenna and i too added her daughter all in tears and covered with shame and confusion this declaration having been made and the duke having settled in his own mind what he would do in the matter the ladies in black withdrew and the duchess gave orders that for the future they were not to be treated as servants of hers but as lady adventurers who came to her house to demand justice so they gave them a room to themselves and waited on them as they would on strangers, to the consternation of the other women servants, who did not know where the folly and imprudence of Doña Rodríguez and her unlucky daughter would stop. And now, to complete the enjoyment of the feast and bring the dinner to a satisfactory end, lo and behold, the page who had carried the letters and presents to Teresa Panza, the wife of the governor Sancho, entered the hall and the duke and duchess were very well pleased to see him being anxious to know the result of his journey but when they asked him the page said in reply that he could not give it before so many people or in a few words and begged their excellence to be pleased to let it wait for a private opportunity and in the meantime amused themselves with these letters and taking out the letters he placed them in the duchess's hand one bore by way of address letter for my lady the Duchess so-and-so of I don't know where, and the other to my husband Sancho Panza, governor of the island of Barataria, whom God prosper longer than me. The Duchess's bread would not bake, as the saying is, until she had read her letter, and having looked over it herself, and seen that it might be read aloud for the Duke and all present to hear, she read out as follows. Teresa Panza's letter to the Duchess the letter your highness wrote me my lady gave me great pleasure for indeed i found it very welcome the string of coral beads is very fine and my husband's hunting suit does not fall short of it all this village is very much pleased that your ladyship has made a governor of my good man sancho though nobody will believe it particularly the curate and master nicholas the barber and the bachelor samson carrasco but i don't care for that for so long as it is true as it is they may all say what they like though to tell the truth if the coral beads and the suit had not come i would not have believed it either for in this village everybody thinks my husband a numbskull and except for governing a flock of goats they cannot fancy what sort of government he can be fit for god grant it and direct him according as he sees his children stand in need of it i am resolved with your worship's leave lady of my soul to make the most of this fair day and go to court to stretch myself at ease in a coach, and make all those I have, envying me already, burst their eyes out. So I beg your excellence to order my husband to send me a small trifle of money, and to let it be something to speak of, because one's expenses are heavy at the court. For a loaf costs a real, and meat thirty maravedis a pound, which is beyond everything. And if he does not want me to go, let him tell me in time, for my feet are on the fidgets to be off and my friends and neighbours tell me that if my daughter and i make a figure and a brave show at court my husband will come to be known far more by me than i by him for of course plenty of people will ask who are those ladies in that coach and some servant of mine will answer the wife and daughter of sancho panza governor of the island of barataria and in this way sancho will become known and i'll be thought well of and to roam for everything i am as vexed as vexed can be that they have gathered no acorns this year in our village for all that i send your highness about half a peck that i went to the wood to gather and pick out one by one myself and i could find no bigger ones i wish they were as big as ostrich eggs let not your high mightiness forget to write to me and i will take care to answer and let you know how i am and whatever news there may be in this place where i remain praying our lord to have your highness in his keeping and not to forget me sancha my daughter and my son kiss your worship's hands she who would rather see your ladyship than write to you your servant teresa panza all were greatly amused by teresa panza's letter but particularly the duke and duchess and the duchess asked don quixote's opinion whether they might open the letter that had come for the governor which she suspected must be very good Don quixote said that to gratify them he would open it and did so and found that it ran as follows teresa panza's letter to her husband sancho panza i got thy letter sancho of my soul and i promise thee and swear as a catholic christian that i was within two fingers breadth of going mad i was so happy i can tell thee brother when i came to hear that thou wert a governor i thought i should have dropped dead with pure joy and thou knowest they say sudden joy kills as well as great sorrow and as for Sanchica, thy daughter she leaked from sheer happiness i had before me the suit thou didst send me and the coral beads my lady the duchess sent me round my neck and the letters in my hands and there was the bearer of them standing by in spite of all this i verily believed and thought that what i saw and handled was all a dream for who could have thought that a goatherd would come to be a governor of islands thou knowest my friend what my mother used to say that one must live long to see much i say it because i expect to see more if i live longer for i don't expect to stop until i see thee a farmer of taxes or a collector of revenue which are offices where though the devil carries off those who make a bad use of them still they make and handle money my lady the duchess will tell thee the desire i have to go to the court consider the matter and let me know thy pleasure i will try to do honour to thee by going in a coach neither the curate nor the barber nor the bachelor nor even the sacristan can believe that thou art a governor and they say the whole thing is a delusion or an enchantment affair like everything belonging to thy master don quixote and samson says he must go in search of thee and drive the government out of thy head and the madness out of Don Quixote's skull. I only laugh, and look at my string of beads, and plan out the dress I am going to make for our daughter out of thy suit. I sent some acorns to my lady the Duchess. I wish they had been gold. Send me some strings of pearls, if they are in fashion in that island. Here is the news of the village. La Barueca has married her daughter to a good-for-nothing painter, who came here to paint anything that might turn up the council gave him an order to paint his majesty's arms over the door of the town hall he asked two ducats which they paid him in advance he worked for eight days and at the end of them had nothing painted and then said he had no turn for painting such trifling things he returned the money and for all that has married on the pretence of being a good workman to be sure he has now laid aside his paintbrush and taken a spade in hand and goes to the field like a gentleman pedro lobo's son has received the first orders in tonsure with the intention of becoming a priest Mingia, mingo silvato's granddaughter found it out and has gone to law with him on the score of having given her promise of marriage evil tongues say she is with child by him but he denies it stoutly there are no olives this year and there is not a drop of vinegar to be had in the whole village a company of soldiers pass through here when they left, they took away with them three of the girls of the village. I will not tell thee who they are. Perhaps they will come back, and they will be sure to find those who will take them for wives, with all their blemishes, good or bad. Sanchica is making bone lace. She earns eight Maravedis a day clear, which she puts into a money-box as a help towards house-furnishing. But now that she is a governor's daughter, thou wilt give her a portion without her working for it the fountain in the plaza has run dry a flash of lightning struck the gibbet and i wish they all lit there i look for an answer to this and to know thy mind about my going to the court and so god keep thee longer than me or as long for i would not leave thee in this world without me thy wife teresa panza the letters were applauded laughed over relished and admired and then as if to put the seal to the business the courier arrived bringing the one sancho sent to don quixote and this too was read out and it raised some doubts as to the governor's simplicity the duchess withdrew to hear from the page about his adventures in sancho's village which he narrated at full length without leaving a single circumstance unmentioned he gave her the acorns and also a cheese which teresa had given him as being particularly good and superior to those of tronchon the duchess received it with greatest delight In which we will leave her to describe the end of the government of the great Sancho Panza, flower and mirror of all governors of islands. End of volume two, part two, chapter fifty two. Recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume two, part two, chapter fifty three. Of the Ingenious Gentleman, Don Quixote of La Mancha, by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra, translated by John Ormsby, 1829-1895. to This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 2, Part 2, Chapter 53 Of the troublous end and termination, Sancho Panza's government came to to fancy that in this life anything belonging to it will remain for ever in the same state is an idle fancy on the contrary in it everything seems to go in a circle i mean round and round the spring succeeds the summer the summer the fall the fall the autumn the autumn the winter and the winter the spring and so time rolls with never ceasing wheel man's life alone swifter than time speeds onward to its end without any hope of renewal save it be in that other life which is endless and boundless thus saith sid hamet the mahometan philosopher for there are many that by the light of nature alone without the light of faith have a comprehension of the fleeting nature and instability of this present life and the endless duration of that eternal life we hope for but our author is here speaking of the rapidity with which sancho's government came to an end melted away disappeared vanished as it were in smoke and shadow whereas he lay in bed on the night of the seventh day of his government sated not with bread and wine but with delivering judgments and giving opinions and making laws and proclamations just as sleep in spite of hunger was beginning to close his eyelids he heard such a noise of bell ringing and shouting that one would have fancied the whole island was going to the bottom he sat up in bed and remained listening intently to try if he could make out what could be the cause of so great an uproar not only however was he unable to discover what it was but as countless drums and trumpets now helped to swell the din of the bells and shouts he was more puzzled than ever and filled with fear and terror and getting up he put on a pair of slippers because of the dampness of the floor and without throwing a dressing-gown or anything of the kind over him he rushed out of the door of his room just in time to see approaching along a corridor a band of more than twenty persons with lighted torches and naked swords in their hands all shouting out to arms to arms senor governor to arms the enemy is in the island in countless numbers and we are lost unless your skill and valour come to our support Keeping up this noise, tumult, and uproar, they came to where Sancho stood, dazed and bewildered by what he saw and heard, and as they approached, one of them called out to him, All at once, your lordship, if you would not have yourself destroyed and the whole island lost. What have I to do with arming, said Sancho? What do I know about arms or supports? Better leave all that to my master Don Quixote, who will settle it and make all safe in a trice for i sinner that i am god help me don't understand these scuffles ah senor governor said another what slackness of metal this is arm yourself here are arms for you offensive and defensive come out to the plaza and be our leader and captain it falls upon you by right for you are our governor arm me then in god's name said sancho and they at once produced two large shields they had come provided with and placed them upon him over his shirt without letting him put on anything else one shield in front and the other behind and passing his arms through openings they had made they bound him tight with ropes so that there he was rolled and boarded up as straight as a spindle and unable to bend his knees or stir a single step in his hand they placed a lance on which he leant to keep himself from falling and as soon as they had him thus fixed they bade him march forward and lead them on and give them all courage for with him for their guide and lamp and morning star they were sure to bring their business to a successful issue how am i to march unlucky being that i am said sancho when i can't stir my kneecaps for these boards i had bound so tight to my body won't let me what you must do is carry me in your arms and lay me across or set me upright in some postern and i'll hold it either with this lance or with my body on senor governor cried another it is fear more than the boards that keeps you from moving make haste stir yourself for there is no time to lose the enemy is increasing in numbers the shouts grow louder and the danger is pressing urged by these exhortations and reproaches the poor governor made an attempt to advance but fell to the ground with such a crash that he fancied he had broken himself all to pieces there he lay like a tortoise enclosed in its shell or a side of bacon between two kneading troughs or a boat bottom up on the beach nor did the gang of jokers feel any compassion for him when they saw him down so far from that extinguishing their torches they began to shout afresh and to renew the coals to arms with such energy trampling on poor sancho and slashing at him over the shield with their swords in such a way that if he had not gathered himself together and made himself small and drawn in his head between the shields it would have fared badly with the poor governor as squeezed into that narrow compass he lay sweating and sweating again and commending himself with all his heart to god to deliver him from his present peril some stumbled over him others fell upon him and one there was who took up a position on top of him for some time and from thence as if from a watch-tower issued orders to the troops shouting out here our side here the enemy is thickest hold the breach there shut that gate barricade those ladders here with your stinkpots of pitch and rosin and kettles of boiling oil block the streets with feather beds in short in his ardour he mentioned every little thing and every implement and engine of war by means of which an assault upon a city is warded off while the bruised and battered sancho who heard and suffered all was saying to himself oh if it would only please the lord to let the island be lost at once and i could see myself either dead or out of this torture heaven heard his prayer and when he least expected it he heard voices exclaiming victory victory the enemy retreats beaten come senor governor get up and come and enjoy the victory and divide the spoils that have been won from the foe by the might of that invincible arm lift me up said the wretched sancho in a woe-begone voice they helped him to rise and as soon as he was on his feet said the enemy i have beaten you may nail to my forehead i don't want to divide the spoils of the foe i only beg and entreat some friend if i have one to give me a sup of wine for i'm parched with thirst and wipe me dry for i'm turning to water they rubbed him down fetched him wine and unbound the shields and he seated himself upon his bed and with fear agitation and fatigue he fainted away those who had been concerned in the joke were now sorry they had pushed it so far however the anxiety his fainting away had caused them was relieved by his returning to himself he asked what o'clock it was they told him it was just daybreak he said no more and in silence began to dress himself while all watched him waiting to see what the haste with which he was putting on his clothes meant he got himself dressed at last and then slowly for he was sorely bruised and could not go fast he proceeded to the stable followed by all who were present and going up to dapple embraced him and gave him a loving kiss on the forehead and said to him not without tears in his eyes come along comrade and friend and partner of my toils and sorrows when i was with you and had no cares to trouble me except mending your harness and feeding your little carcass happy were my hours my days and my years but since i left you and mounted the towers of ambition and pride a thousand miseries a thousand troubles and four thousand anxieties have entered into my soul and all the while he was speaking in this strain he was fixing the pack-saddle on the ass without a word from any one then having dapple saddled he with great pain and difficulty got up on him and addressing himself to the major domo, the secretary the head carver and pedro Recio the doctor and several others who stood by he said make way gentlemen and let me go back to my old freedom let me go look for my past life and raise myself up from this present death i was not born to be a governor or protect islands or cities from the enemies that choose to attack them ploughing and digging vine dressing and pruning are more in my way than defending provinces or kingdoms st peter is very well at rome i mean each of us is best following the trade he was born to a reaping-hook fits my hand better than a governor's sceptre i'd rather have my fill of gazpacho than be subject to the misery of a meddling doctor who tortures me with hunger and i'd rather lie in summer under the shade of an oak and in winter wrap myself in a double sheepskin jacket in freedom Then go to bed between holland sheets and dress in sables under the restraint of a government god be with your worships and tell my lord the duke that naked i was born naked i find myself i neither lose nor gain i mean that without a farthing i came into this government and without a farthing i go out of it very different from the way governors commonly leave other islands stand aside and let me go I have to plaster myself for i believe every one of my ribs is crushed thanks to the enemies that have been trampling over me to-night that is unnecessary senor governor said dr Horatio, for i will give your worship a draft against falls and bruises that will soon make you as sound and strong as ever and as for your diet i promise your worship to behave better and let you eat plentifully of whatever you like you spoke late said sancho I'd as soon turn Turk as stay any longer. Those jokes won't pass a second time. By God! I'd as soon remain in this government or take another, even if it was offered me between two plates, as fly to heaven without wings. I am of the breed of the Ponces, and they are every one of them obstinate. And if they once say odds, odds it must be, no matter if it is evens, in spite of all the world. Here in this stable I leave the ants' wings that lifted me up into the air for the swifts and other birds to eat me and let's take to level ground in our feet once more and if they're not shod in pinked shoes of cordovan they won't want for rough sandals of hemp every ewe to her like and let no one stretch his leg beyond the length of the sheet. and now let me pass for it's growing late with me to this the major-domo said senor governor we would let your worship go with all our hearts though it sorely grieves us to lose you For your wit and Christian conduct naturally make us regret you, but it is well known that every governor, before he leaves the place where he has been governing, is bound first of all to render an account. Let your worship do so for the ten days you have held the government, and then you may go, and the peace of God go with you. No one can demand it of me, said Sancho, but he whom my lord the duke shall appoint. I am going to meet him, and to him I will render an exact one. Besides, when I go forth naked as I do, there is no other proof needed to show that I have governed like an angel. My God, the great Sancho is right, said Dr. Recio, and we should let him go, for the Duke will be beyond measure glad to see him. They all agreed to this and allowed him to go, first offering to bear him company and furnish him with all he wanted for his own comfort or for the journey. Sancho said he did not want anything more than a little barley for Dapple, and half a cheese and half a loaf for himself. For the distance being so short, there was no occasion for any better or bulkier Provence. They all embraced him, and he with tears embraced all of them, and left them filled with admiration not only at his remarks, but at his firm and sensible resolution. End of volume two, part two, chapter fifty three. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume Two, Part Two, Chapter Fifty Four of the Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra, translated by John Ormsby, 1829 to 1895. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 2, Part 2, Chapter 54, which deals with matters relating to this history and no other. The Duke and Duchess resolved that the challenge Don Quixote had, for the reason already mentioned, given their vassal, should be proceeded with, and as the young man was in Flanders, whither he had fled to escape having Doña Rodriguez for a mother-in-law, they arranged to substitute for him a Gascon lackey named Tosios, first of all, carefully instructing him in all he had to do. Two days later, the Duke told Don Quixote that in four days from that time his opponent would present himself on the field of battle, armed as a knight, and would maintain that the damsel lied by half a beard, nay, a whole beard, if she affirmed that he had given her a promise of marriage. Don Quixote was greatly pleased at the news. And promised himself to do wonders in the lists and reckoned it rare good fortune that an opportunity should have offered for letting his noble hosts see what the might of his strong arm was capable of and so in high spirits and satisfaction he awaited the expiration of the four days which measured by his impatience seemed spinning themselves out into four hundred ages let us leave them to pass as we do other things and go and bear sancho company as mounted on dapple half glad half sad he paced along on his road to join his master in whose society he was happier than in being governor of all the islands in the world well then it so happened that before he had gone a great way from the island of his government and whether it was island city town or village that he governed he never troubled himself to inquire he saw coming along the road he was travelling six pilgrims with staves foreigners of that sort that begged for alms singing who as they drew near arranged themselves in a line and lifting up their voices all together began to sing in their own language something that sancho could not with the exception of one word which sounded plainly alms from which he gathered that it was alms they asked for in their song and being as Hamet says remarkably charitable he took out of his alforjas the half loaf and half cheese he had been provided with and gave them to them explaining to them by signs that he had nothing else to give them they received them very gladly but exclaimed geld geld i don't understand what you want of me good people said sancho on this one of them took a purse out of his bosom and showed it to sancho by which he comprehended they were asking for money and putting his thumb to his throat and spreading his hands upwards, he gave them to understand that he had not the sign of a coin about him, and urging Dapple forward, he broke through them. But as he was passing, one of them who had been examining him very closely, rushed towards him and flinging his arms round him, exclaimed in a loud voice and good Spanish, "God bless me! What's this? I see? Is it possible that I hold in my arms my dear friend, my good neighbor Sancho Panza, for well, there's no doubt about it." for i'm not asleep nor am i drunk just now sancho was surprised to hear himself called by his name and find himself embraced by a foreign pilgrim and after regarding him steadily without speaking he was still unable to recognise him but the pilgrim perceiving his perplexity cried what and is it possible sancho panza that thou dost not know thy neighbour ricote the morisco shopkeeper of thy village Sancho, upon this, looking at him more carefully, began to recall his features, and at last recognized him perfectly, and without getting off the ass threw his arms round his neck, saying, Who the devil could have known thee, Ricote, in this mummer's dress thou art in? Tell me, who has Frenchified thee, and how dost thou dare to return to Spain, where if they catch thee and recognize thee, it will go hard enough with thee. If thou dost not betray me, Sancho said the pilgrim, I am safe for in this dress no one will recognise me but let us turn aside out of the road into that grove there where my comrades are going to eat and rest and thou shalt eat with them there for they are very good fellows i'll have time enough to tell thee then all that has happened me since i left our village in obedience to his majesty's edict that threatens such severities against the unfortunate people of my nation as thou hast heard sancho complied and ricote having spoken to the other pilgrims they withdrew to the grove they saw turning a considerable distance out of the road they threw down their staves took off their pilgrim's cloaks and remained in their underclothing. they were all good-looking young fellows except ricote who was a man somewhat advanced in years they carried alforjas all of them and all apparently well filled at least with things provocative of thirst such as would summon it from two leagues off they stretched themselves on the ground and making a tablecloth of the grass they spread upon it bread salt knives walnut scraps of cheese and well-picked ham bones which if they were past gnawing, they were not past sucking they also put down a black dainty called they say caviar and made of the eggs of fish a great thirst wakener nor was there any lack of olives dry it is true and without any seasoning but for all that toothsome and pleasant but what made the best show in the field of the banquet was half a dozen botas of wine for each of them produced his own from his alforjas even the good ricote who from a morisco had transformed himself into a german or dutchman took out his which in size might have vied with the five others they then began to eat with very great relish and very leisurely making the most of each morsel very small ones of everything They took up on the point of the knife and then all at the same moment raised their arms and botas aloft, the mouths placed in their mouths, and all eyes fixed on heaven, just as if they were taking aim at it. And in this attitude they remained ever so long, wagging their heads from side to side, as if in acknowledgment of the pleasure they were enjoying, while they decanted the bowels of the bottles into their own stomachs. Sancho beheld all, and nothing gave him pain, so far from that acting on the proverb he knew so well when thou art at rome do as thou seest he asked ricote for his bota and took aim like the rest of them and with not less enjoyment four times did the bota's bear being uplifted but the fifth it was all in vain for they were drier and more sapless than a rush by that time which made the jollity that had been kept up so far begin to flag every now and then some one of them would grasp sancho's right hand in his own saying "espagnoli e tudeschi tuto uno bon compagno," and sancho would answer bon campano giuradi, and then go off into a fit of laughter that lasted an hour without a thought for the moment of anything that had befallen him and his government for cares have very little sway over us while we are eating and drinking at length the wine having come to an end with them drowsiness began to come over them and they dropped asleep on their very table and tablecloth ricote and sancho alone remained awake for they had eaten more and drunk less and ricote drawing sancho aside they seated themselves at the foot of a beach leaving the pilgrims buried in sweet sleep and without once falling into his own morisco tongue ricote spoke as follows in pure castilian thou knowest well neighbor and friend sancho panza how the proclamation or edict his majesty commanded to be issued against those of my nation filled us all with terror and dismay me at least it did insomuch that i think before the time granted us for quitting spain was out the full force of the penalty had already fallen upon me and upon my children i decided then and i think wisely just like one who knows that at a certain date the house he lives in will be taken from him and looks out beforehand for another to change into I decided i say to leave the town myself alone and without my family and go to seek out some place to remove them too comfortably and not in the hurried way in which the others took their departure for i saw very plainly and so did all the older men among us that the proclamations were not mere threats as some said but positive enactments which would be enforced at the appointed time and what made me believe this was what i knew of the base and extravagant designs which our people harboured, designs of such a nature that I think it was a divine inspiration that moved His Majesty to carry out a resolution so spirited. Not that we were all guilty, for some there were true and steadfast Christians, but they were so few that they could make no head against those who were not, and it was not prudent to cherish a viper in the bosom by having enemies in the house. In short, it was with just cause that we were visited with the penalty of banishment, a mild and lenient one in the eyes of some, but to us the most terrible that could be inflicted upon us. Wherever we are, we weep for Spain, for after all, we were born there, and it is our natural fatherland. Nowhere do we find the reception our unhappy condition needs, and in Barbary and all the parts of Africa where we counted upon being received, succoured, and welcomed, it is there they insult and ill treat us most. We knew not our good fortune until we lost it and such is the longing we almost all of us have to return to spain that most of those who like myself know the language and there are many who do come back to it and leave their wives and children forsaken yonder so great is their love for it and now i know by experience the meaning of the saying sweet is the love of one's country i left our village as i said and went to france but though they gave us a kind reception there i was anxious to see all i could i crossed into italy and reached germany and there it seemed to me we might live with more freedom as the inhabitants do not pay any attention to trifling points everyone lives as he likes for in most parts they enjoy liberty of conscience i took a house in a town near augsburg and then joined these pilgrims who are in the habit of coming to spain in great numbers every year to visit the shrines there which they look upon as their indies and a sure and certain source of gain they travel nearly all over it and there is no town out of which they do not go full up of meat and drink as the saying is and with a real at least in money and they come off at the end of their travels with more than a hundred crowns saved which changed into gold they smuggle out of the kingdom either in the hollow of their staves or in the patches of their pilgrims cloaks or by some device of their own and carry to their own country in spite of the guards at the posts and passes where they are searched now my purpose is sancho to carry away the treasure that i left buried which as it is outside the town i shall be able to do without risk and to write or cross over from valencia to my daughter and wife who i know are at algiers and find some means of bringing them to some french port and thence to germany there to await what it may be god's will to do with us for after all Sancho. I know well that Ricotta, my daughter, and Francisca Ricotta, my wife, are Catholic Christians, and though I am not so much so, still I am more of a Christian than a Moor, and it is always my prayer to God that he will open the eyes of my understanding and show me how I am to serve him. But what amazes me, and I cannot understand, is why my wife and daughter should have gone to Barbary rather than to France, where they could live as Christians. To this Sancho replied, remember ricote that may not have been open to them for juan teopiello your wife's brother took them and being a true moor he went where he could go most easily and another thing i can tell thee it is my belief thou art going in vain to look for what thou hast left buried for we heard they took from thy brother-in-law and thy wife a great quantity of pearls and money and gold which they brought to be passed that may be said ricote but i know they did not touch my hoard for i did not tell them where it was for fear of accidents and so if thou wilt come with me sancho and help me to take it away and conceal it i will give thee two hundred crowns wherewith thou mayest relieve thy necessities and as thou knowest i know they are many i would do it said sancho but i am not at all covetous for i gave up an office this morning in which if i was i might have made the walls of my house of gold and dined off silver plates before six months were over and so for this reason and because i feel i would be guilty of treason to my king if i helped his enemies i would not go with thee if instead of promising me two hundred crowns thou wert to give me four hundred here in hand and what office is this thou hast given up sancho asked ricote i have given up being governor of an island said sancho in such a one faith as you won't find the like of easily and where is this island said ricote where said sancho two leagues from here and it is called the island of barataria nonsense sancho said ricote islands are away out in the sea there are no islands on the mainland what no islands said sancho i tell thee friend ricote i left it this morning and yesterday i was governing there as i please like a sagittarius but for all that i gave it up for it seemed to me a dangerous office a governors and what hast thou gained by the government asked ricote I have gained, said Sancho, the knowledge that I am no good for governing unless it is a drove of cattle, and that the riches that are to be got by these governments are got at the cost of one's rest and sleep, ay, and even one's food. For in islands the governors must eat little, especially if they have doctors to look after their health. I don't understand thee, Sancho, said Ricote, but it seems to me all nonsense thou art talking. Who would give thee islands to govern? is there any scarcity in the world of cleverer men than thou art for governors hold thy peace sancho and come back to thy senses and consider whether thou wilt come with me as i said to help me to take away treasure i left buried for indeed it may be called a treasure it is so large and i will give thee wherewithal to keep thee as i told thee and i have told thee already Ricote, that i will not said sancho let it content thee that by me thou shalt not be betrayed and go thy way in god's name and let me go mine for i know that well-gotten gain may be lost but ill-gotten gain is lost itself and its owner likewise i will not press thee sancho said ricote but tell me wert thou in our village when my wife and daughter and brother-in-law left it i was so said sancho and i can tell thee thy daughter left it looking so lovely that all the village turned out to see her and everybody said she was the fairest creature in the world she wept as she went and embraced all her friends and acquaintances and those who came out to see her and she begged them all to commend her to god and our lady as mother and this in such a touching way that it made me weep myself though i'm not much given to tears commonly and faith many a one would have liked to hide her or go out and carry her off on the road but the fear of going against the king's command kept them back the one who showed himself most moved was don pedro gregorio the rich young heir thou knowest of And they say he was deep in love with her. And since she left, he has not been seen in our village again, and we all suspect he has gone after her to steal her away. But so far, nothing has been heard of it. I always had a suspicion that gentleman had a passion for my daughter, said Ricote. But as I felt sure of my Ricote's virtue, it gave me no uneasiness to know that he loved her. For thou must have heard it said, Sancho, that the Morisco women seldom or never engage in amours with the old Christians and my daughter who i fancy thought more of being a christian than of love-making would not trouble herself about the attentions of this heir god grant it said sancho for it would be a bad business for both of them but now let me be off friend ricote for i want to reach where my master don quixote is to-night god be with thee brother sancho said ricote my comrades are beginning to stir and it is time too for us to continue our journey and then they both embraced, and Sancho mounted dapple, and Ricote leant upon his staff, and so they parted. End of Volume 2, Part 2, Chapter 54 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Volume 2, Part 2, Chapter 55 Of the Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra, translated by John Ormsby, 1829-1895. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 2, Part 2, Chapter 55 Of what befell Sancho on the road, and other things that cannot be surpassed. The length of time he delayed with Ricote prevented sancho from reaching the duke's castle that day though he was within half a league of it when night somewhat dark and cloudy overtook him this however as it was summer-time did not give him much uneasiness and he turned aside out of the road intending to wait for morning but his ill-luck and hard fate so willed it that as he was searching about for a place to make himself as comfortable as possible he and Dapple fell into a deep, dark hole that lay among some very old buildings. As he fell, he commended himself with all his heart to God, fancying he was not going to stop until he reached the depths of the bottomless pit. But it did not turn out so, for at little more than thrice a man's height, Dapple touched bottom, and he found himself sitting on him without having received any hurt or damage whatever. He felt himself all over and held his breath to try whether he was quite sound or had a hole made in him anywhere, and finding himself all right and whole and in perfect health, he was profuse in his thanks to God our Lord for the mercy that had been shown him, for he made sure he had been broken into a thousand pieces. He also felt along the sides of the pit with his hands, to see if it were possible to get out of it without help, but he found they were quite smooth and afforded no hold anywhere, at which he was greatly distressed especially when he heard how pathetically and dolefully dapple was bemoaning himself and no wonder he complained nor was it from ill temper for in truth he was not in a very good case alas said sancho what unexpected accidents happen at every step to those who live in this miserable world who would have said that one who saw himself yesterday sitting on a throne governor of an island giving orders to his servants and his vassals would see himself today buried in a pit without a soul to help him or servant or vassal to come to his relief here must we perish with hunger my ass and myself if indeed we don't die first he of his bruises and injuries and i of grief and sorrow at any rate i'll not be as lucky as my master don quixote of la mancha when he went down into the cave of that enchanted montesinos where he found people to make more of him than if he had been in his own house for it seems he came in for a table laid out and a bed ready-made there he saw fair and pleasant visions but here i'll see i imagine toads and adders unlucky wretch that i am what an end my follies and fancies have come to they'll take up my bones out of this when it is heaven's will that i'm found picked clean white and polished and my good dapples with them and by that perhaps it will be found out who we are At least by such as have heard that Sancho Panza never separated from his ass, nor his ass from Sancho Panza. Unlucky wretches, I say again, that our hard fate should not let us die in our own country and among our own people. For if there was no help for our misfortune, at any rate, there would be someone to grieve for it and to close our eyes as we passed away. Oh comrade and friend, how ill have I repaid thy faithful services? Forgive me, and entreat fortune as well as thou canst to deliver us out of this miserable strait we are both in and i promise to put a crown of laurel on thy head and make thee look like a poet laureate and give thee double feeds. in this strain did sancho bewail himself and his ass listened to him but answered him never a word such was the distress and anguish the poor beast found himself in at length after a night spent in bitter moanings and lamentations day came and by its light Sancho perceived that it was wholly impossible to escape out of that pit without help, and he fell to bemoaning his fate and uttering loud shouts to find out if there was any one within hearing. But all his shouting was only crying in the wilderness, for there was not a soul anywhere in the neighborhood to hear him. And then at last he gave himself up for dead. Dapple was lying on his back, and Sancho helped him to his feet, which he was scarcely able to keep and then taking a piece of bread out of his alforjas which had shared their fortunes in the fall he gave it to the ass to whom it was not unwelcome saying to him as if he understood him with bread all sorrows are less and now he perceived on one side of the pit a hole large enough to admit a person if he stooped and squeezed himself into a small compass sancho made for it and entered it by creeping and found it wide and spacious on the inside which he was able to see as a ray of sunlight that penetrated what might be called the roof showed it all plainly he observed too that it opened and widened out into another spacious cavity seeing which he made his way back to where the ass was and with a stone began to pick away the clay from the hole until in a short time he had made room for the beast to pass easily and this accomplished taking him by the halter he proceeded to traverse the cavern to see if there was any outlet at the other end he advanced sometimes in the dark sometimes without light but never without fear god almighty help me said he to himself this that is a misadventure to me would make a good adventure for my master don quixote he would have been sure to take these depths and dungeons for flowery gardens or the palaces of Galiana, and would have counted upon issuing out of this darkness and imprisonment into some blooming meadow but i unlucky that i am hopeless and spiritless expect at every step another pit deeper than the first to open under my feet and swallow me up for good welcome evil if thou comest alone in this way and with these reflections he seemed to himself to have travelled rather more than half a league when at last he perceived a dim light that looked like daylight and found its way in on one side showing that this road which appeared to him the road to the other world led to some opening here cid hamet leaves him and returns to don quixote who in high spirits and satisfaction was looking forward to the day fixed for the battle he was to fight with him who had robbed dona rodriguez's daughter of her honour for whom he hoped to obtain satisfaction for the wrong and injury shamefully done to her it came to pass then that having sallied forth one morning to practise and exercise himself in what he would have to do in the encounter expected to find himself engaged in the next day as he was putting Rocinante through his paces or pressing him to the charge he brought his feet so close to a pit that but for reining him in tightly it would have been impossible for him to avoid falling into it he pulled him up however without a fall and coming a little closer examined the hole without dismounting but as he was looking at it he heard loud cries proceeding from it and by listening attentively was able to make out that he who uttered them was saying ho above there is there any christian that hears me or any charitable gentleman that will take pity on a sinner buried alive on an unfortunate disgoverned governor it struck don quixote that it was the voice of sancho panza he heard whereat he was taken aback and amazed and raising his own voice as much as he could he cried out who is below there who is that complaining who should be here or who should complain was the answer but the forlorn sancho panza for his sins and for his ill-luck governor of the island of barataria squire that was to the famous knight don quixote of la mancha when don quixote heard this his amazement was redoubled and his perturbation grew greater than ever for it suggested to his mind that sancho must be dead and that his soul was in torment down there and carried away by this idea he exclaimed I conjure thee by everything that as a Catholic Christian I can conjure thee by, tell me who thou art, and if thou art a soul in torment, tell me what thou wouldst have me do for thee. For as my profession is to give aid and succour to those that need it in this world, it will also extend to aiding and succouring the distressed of the other, who cannot help themselves. In that case, answered the voice, your worship who speaks to me must be my master Don Quixote of La Mancha nay from the tone of the voice it is plain it can be nobody else don quixote i am replied don quixote he whose profession it is to aid and succour the living and the dead in their necessities wherefore tell me who thou art for thou art keeping me in suspense because if thou art my squire sancho panza and art dead since the devils have not carried thee off and thou art by god's mercy in purgatory our holy mother the roman catholic church has intercessory means sufficient to release thee from the pains thou art in and i for my part will plead with her to that end so far as my substance will go without further delay therefore declare thyself and tell me who thou art by all that's good was the answer and by the birth of whomsoever your worship chooses i swear senor don quixote of la mancha that i am your squire sancho panza and that i have never died all my life but that having given up my government for reasons that would require more time to explain i fell last night into this pit where i am now and Dapple is witness and won't let me lie for more by token he is here with me nor was this all one would have fancied the ass understood what sancho said because that moment he began to bray so loudly that the whole cave rang again famous testimony exclaimed don quixote I know that bray as well as if I was its mother, and thy voice too, my Sancho. Wait while I go to the duke's castle, which is close by, and I will bring someone to take thee out of this pit into which thy sins, no doubt, have brought thee. Go, your worship, said Sancho, and come back quick for God's sake, for I cannot bear being buried alive any longer, and I'm dying of fear. Don Quixote left him and hastened to the castle to tell the duke and duchess what had happened, Sancho and they were not a little astonished at it they could easily understand his having fallen from the confirmatory circumstance of the cave which had been in existence there from time immemorial but they could not imagine how he had quitted the government without their receiving any intimation of his coming to be brief they fetched ropes and tackle as the saying is and by dint of many hands and much labour they drew up dapple and sancho panza out of the darkness into the light of day a student who saw him remarked that's the way all bad governors should come out of their governments as the sinner comes out of the depths of the pit dead with hunger pale and i suppose without a farthing sancho overheard him and said it is eight or ten days brother growler since i entered upon the government of the island they gave me and all that time i never had a belly full of victuals not for an hour doctors persecuted me and enemies crushed my bones nor had i any opportunity of taking bribes or levying taxes and if that be the case as it is i don't deserve i think to come out in this fashion but man proposes and god disposes and god knows what is best and what suits each one best and as the occasion so the behavior and let nobody say i won't drink of this water and where one thinks there are flitches there are no pegs god knows my meaning and that's enough i say no more though i could be not angry or annoyed at what thou hearest sancho said don quixote or there will never be an end of it keep a safe conscience and let them say what they like for trying to stop slanderers tongues is like trying to put gates to the open plain if a governor comes out of his government rich they say he has been a thief and if he comes out poor that he has been a noodle in a blockhead he'll be pretty sure this time said sancho to set me down for a fool rather than a thief Thus talking, and surrounded by boys and a crowd of people, they reached the castle, where in one of the corridors the duke and duchess stood waiting for them. But Sancho would not go up to see the duke until he had first put up dapple in the stable, for he said he had passed a very bad night in his last quarters. Then he went upstairs to see his lord and lady, and kneeling before them he said, "'Because it was your highness's pleasure, not because of any dessert of my own, I went to govern your island of Barataria.' which i entered naked and naked i find myself i neither lose nor gain whether i have governed well or ill i have had witnesses who will say what they think fit i have answered questions i have decided causes and always dying of hunger for dr pedro Recio of tertea Fuera, the island and governor doctor would have it so enemies attacked us by night and put us in a great quandary but the people of the island say they came off safe and victorious by the might of my arm And may God give them as much health as there's truth in what they say. In short, during that time I have weighed the cares and responsibilities governing brings with it. And by my reckoning, I find my shoulders can't bear them, nor are they a load for my loins or arrows for my quiver. And so, before the government threw me over, I preferred to throw the government over. And yesterday morning I left the island as I found it, with the same streets, houses, and roofs it had when I entered it. I asked no loan of anybody nor did I try to fill my pocket, and though I meant to make some useful laws, I made hardly any, as I was afraid they would not be kept, for in that case it comes to the same thing, to make them or not to make them. I quitted the island, as I said, without any escort except my ass. I fell into a pit, I pushed on through it, until this morning by the light of the sun I saw an outlet, but not so easy a one but that. Had not Heaven sent me my master Don Quixote, I'd have stayed there till the end of the world.' so now my lord and lady duke and duchess here is your governor sancho panza who in the bare ten days he has held the government has come by the knowledge that he would not give anything to be governor not to say of an island but of the whole world And that point being settled kissing your worship's feet and imitating the game of the boys when they say leap thou and give me one i take a leap out of the government and pass into the service of my master don quixote for after all though in it i eat my bread in fear and trembling at any rate i take my fill and for my part so long as i'm full it's all alike to me whether it's with carrots or with partridges here sancho brought his long speech to an end don quixote having been the whole time in dread of his uttering a host of absurdities and when he found him leave off with so few he thanked heaven in his heart The Duke embraced Sancho and told him he was hardly sorry he had given up the government so soon, but that he would see that he was provided with some other post on his estate less onerous and more profitable. The Duchess also embraced him, and gave orders that he should be taken good care of, as it was plain to see he had been badly treated and worse bruised. End of Volume 2 Part 2 Chapter 55